Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders Podcast, episode number 78. My name is Christopher Luft, and I'll be your host. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with Chris Cochran from Hacker Valley Media. But first, a quick word from the sponsor of this show, Lima Charlie. My name is Maxim Lamet Brassard, and I'm the founder of Lima Charlie, I'm the company behind the SecOps Cloud Platform. Cybersecurity tools today need to evolve from the one-size-fits-all silos into a modern tool set to adapt to the specific needs that you have. The SecOps Cloud Platform works by providing you with full access to the underlying security tools and infrastructure. Everything's on demand with no minimums, no contracts. It's an approach that's really like AWS has done in IT. We offer a full-featured free tiers, no credit cards, no contracts, nothing. Get on the platform today, deploy an EDR, start ingesting logs, build a product, start an MDR, an MSSP, whatever you can imagine. We're making security flexible so you can build what's possible. You can learn more or get started for free at limacharlie.io. Thanks so much for being with us on the show today, Chris. It's a real honor to have you here speaking with me. I'm happy to be here, Chris. Appreciate it. Uh, on the off chance that any of our listeners don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself quickly and tell us what you do? Yeah, sure thing. I'm Chris Cochran. I'm the co-founder and chief creative officer at Hacker Valley Media and also the VP of marketing at AKA Identity. I've been in cybersecurity for pretty much my entire career. Started with the United States Marine Corps. I was at the National Security Agency. Uh, went to United States Cyber Command when it started up. I've been at some pretty cool places like Mandiant and led threat intelligence at Netflix. I've led security engineering teams, done a little bit of everything. And uh, now I, the main thing that I do now is content creation. And, and I got to be honest, it's a little bit of a fanboy moment for me. I really love the work you're doing with Hacker Valley Media and I have a lot of respect for the courage it must have taken for you, Ron, and the rest of the team to throw your hat in the creative ring and go after it like that. You folks have really elevated the quality of content being produced across the cybersecurity landscape. I, I really appreciate it. It means a lot because, you know, when we got in the game, of course, there were some podcasters, early podcasters were already, do, already doing some awesome work, but we wanted to continue to like to push the envelope, get into video and start doing mini series and web series and things like that. But uh, yeah, creativity and, and creating content, that's, it's been a game changer for me and, uh, and my whole family, honestly. Yeah, the quality of the output's world-class. I can't say enough good things. So that's the bar that you've set for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, we've got to keep pushing it, too. Yeah, let's, let's just keep pushing that bar as far as we can go. Awesome. So I'm always interested in people's genesis story, and you've had a very long and varied career in cybersecurity, as you just kind of ran through briefly. Before we dive into some of that, can you just tell us what initially got you interested in technology? Uh, I've always been interested in technology. I was one of those kids that had the... Uh, electronics kit where it could be like an alarm system or AM FM or AM radio. Uh, I've always just been fascinated with science and technology and robotics. I thought I was going to make Skynet uh, when I was a kid, uh, but good thing I didn't because I would have taken over the world. But with AI the way it is right now, it's it's probably on its way. But uh, no, I've always been interested in technology. I got really deep uh, around high school, taking apart computers, putting them back together. But I wouldn't really get my hands dirty with actual technology until I got into the Marine Corps. 
Okay, yeah, and that's one of the first things I wanted to touch on. So it looks like you graduated from uh, Valdosta State University. Am I saying that right? Valdosta? Uh, Valdosta, yeah. Valdosta. So I, went, I, went, I was like three years in of Valdosta, then I went to the Marine Corps, and then I got out and got my uh, degree uh, once I got out of the Marine Corps. Okay, what, what motivated you to join the Marine Corps, and how did that experience shape the rest of your career? Oof, yeah, the Marine Corps. Hoorah. I, I couldn't say enough good things about the Marine Corps. There was parts of it that were tough, um, but there are parts of it that really just changed my life forever. The reason why I went in uh, was because I was doing, I did JROTC my whole uh, high school career. Uh, the first half of my high school career, I was in Naval ROTC. Um, and then we moved to a different uh, area and I went to a new high school. And then I joined uh, Marine Corps ROTC there. And so I knew the customs and courtesies. I knew a lot about the uh, the uniform. and so. I went to the movies. I'm a big movie guy. Uh, I live my life through movies uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, I was watching uh, We Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson. And it was such an awesome, motivating movie. I, and as soon as I stepped out, I was like, I'm joining the Marine Corps. Even though it was an Army movie, uh, I was like, I know the Marine Corps, so I'm going to join the Marine Corps. But I wouldn't join the Marine Corps for another four or five years after that. Okay, and what was it that impacted your life? I've heard from friends and colleagues in the Air Force that it really gave them a sense of discipline and goal setting and just kind of gave them a framework to to go after their goals is that a similar kind of experience absolutely the biggest thing is is mission accomplishment it's you set a goal uh you have to achieve the goal what are the resources that you have in which to to achieve that goal and you just don't stop until the mission's done and i would say i got a lot of that from the marine corps um i got you know, i feel like the military is like training wheels for being an adult I went, you know, when I got out of high school, I went to college, messed around in, in, in college and didn't get really good grades when I first got out just because uh, I was just all over the place. I loved martial arts and I loved philosophy, but everything else was kind of, uh, uh, it felt like a waste of time. But when I got into the Marine Corps, they don't let anything be a waste of time. Everything is very intentional. And so uh, I had to, you know, do all the things I had to do to stay in the Marine Corps. And that gave me additional discipline, which I, I use today. So after your time in the Marine Corps, you went on to various technical security roles. Again, as you touched on earlier, you were at Mandiant, Booz Allen, Netflix, uh, lots of big companies. And then in around 2000, those were all technical roles. And then in around 2021, you start to see things that look like marketing show up in your work history. <laughs> yeah. How, how did that transition come about? And was this something you always felt drawn to? Or did you discover your creative talents in this vein by accident along the way? So I would say well, when I started the podcast, Hacker Valley Studio, in 2019 with Ron Eddings, uh, we were just hit and record every single week. And so I had to, it, we, we didn't realize this, but we were starting a business and that would become Hacker Valley Media. And so you had to figure out how do you market a single show? Now, how do you multi market multiple shows? How do you market audio only? How do you market a video series? How do you market services, right? Uh, how do you market an event? And so I was finding myself doing all of this marketing things. And I would say, I think it was like maybe 2020, I got invited to uh, the Cybersecurity Marketing Society uh, by uh, Maria Velasquez. And uh, I think I was like member number eight. I think they're at like two to 3,000 members now. Uh, it's like seriously blown up. And so I've just been rocking with them ever since. Uh, my first true marketing position, aside from Hacker Valley, was at Exonius. I went over there as creative director and then uh, at Huntress as the chief evangelist. And so I've always I, I've leaned into marketing because 
I love psychology. I love social neuroscience. I love the the study of like what is attention and and how do you build relationships with people genuinely? Because I think what I see in a lot of uh, cybersecurity companies do is they would try to push their wares, they would try to push their demos, but there was no there was no give and take. It was just a bunch of ask, 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 me, me, me. And so I, I said that what if it was more mutual? What if you created value for people without an expectation of return? What if you just gave them the information that they could find useful in their lives? And then if the opportunity arises where they need a solution that you happen to give, then they might think of you first. And so I've always taken that approach. And that's why uh, I lead marketing now. No, I love that philosophy. I think we at Lima Charlie also share a lot of the same approaches. I think people in security generally are anti-marketing. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, like the, the traditional kind of marketing. And so it's about creating value and community and, and yeah, giving something back. So that's awesome. Um, and if it's not too much to ask, I'm, I'm curious about your relationship with Ron Eddings. Yeah. You guys seem to be uh, quite the team. How do you guys know each other? And how did that relationship play into the decision to start Hacker Valley Media? Yeah, so we uh, worked together at a startup called IronNet, which is a very strange startup because it was started by General Alexander, who was the director of NRSA. And so it, it became a, a, a real-life company very, very quickly. It, it, I say it kind of jumped past the, the startup phase. And uh, he was a hunter. I was a threat intel guy. And we just, you know, we've always kind of clicked. You know, we would go to dinners together and things like that. And when I made the move from the East Coast to the West Coast uh, for Netflix, that's when um, I said, hey, I'm, uh, after corporate housing, I'm going to have a couple more months before my family comes out. And uh, I was just wondering if you, you had a room, because I know that you and uh, another friend of ours, Marco, uh, they had a house together and they had four rooms. And so I, I moved in and then soon thereafter, another friend of ours, Napoleon, moved in. And then that's where we had the Hacker Valley Mansion is what we were calling it. And so that led into the, the creation of the podcast. Ron was already doing uh, educational videos for exploitation development and things like that. But uh, we said, hey, why don't we just hop on these mics and have a conversation? And we just kept hitting record. Oh, that's awesome. That's kind of like the started in the garage story, right? It is, exactly. Yeah, that's great. So with guests on the show, after I have a chance to talk through their history, I like to focus on an area of their expertise. And I'd love to chat a little bit about brand marketing and storytelling and cybersecurity, if that works for you. Let's do it. All right. Uh, so the cybersecurity vendor market is extremely competitive and extremely crowded. For a young, scrappy startup that is just the founders and maybe a handful of people, do you have any advice on what they should be thinking about as they start putting together their brand and marketing efforts? Yeah, the first thing, uh, you have to understand who you are as a company. You have to understand your values. You have to understand your mission, your vision. Where are you headed and who are you trying to talk to? Right. Once you understand that, then everything else is a lot easier. That understanding that very beginning component, if you can't get on the same page as a company, you're going to have a really hard time executing any type of marketing plan that's going to pay dividends. Right. You can have the best solution in the world, but if you don't know how to communicate that to people, you don't know how to communicate that to your target audience, then you're going to have a hard time bringing those folks to the table. And so I would say that I would focus on understanding your brand. Sure, you could do some of the brand exercises like the website and all that stuff. I think that's important. Um, but I would say the most important thing is understanding your messaging, understanding that story that you're telling when you get up on stage and you talk to people, right? What is that story? Don't give them a list of features and functions and, oh, we, we do this faster than this person and we do this uh, more wholeheartedly than this company. 
Talk about what is the story that in which you're going to help somebody in their role, in their in their program, whatever it is. Give them that story. Give them the, the story of like, what does it look like before we have a relationship and what will it look like after? It's all about storytelling for me. And so I, I would say focus on that. Get your story together. You know, put some elbow grease into your branding and what it looks like and what you're trying to communicate. And then really understand who your who your audience is. I think that's great advice. I think especially non-marketing folks, when they start approach branding, they think it's about fonts and colors and logos and stuff like that. Yeah. But I 100% agree. And at the beginning, you know, the brand is really the founders. So how do you take the part that made you passionate about the company and, mm -hmm. and translate that into something that others can consume? Exactly. So creating content is a huge part of most cybersecurity marketing efforts, but it can be really hard to pull off, especially for folks that have more of a technical background and who aren't used to producing media for others to consume. Do you have any advice or strategies for folks looking to create valuable content for a cybersecurity audience? Yeah, uh, one thing that I, I created when I was really, really deep into threat intelligence and then later on when I started creating security programs across the board uh, was the easy framework, right? Like, so illicit requirements, like what do we need to get out there into the world? Understand what is it that we want to say, who are we speaking to? And then what are, what is that action that we want someone to take? Do we want to push them to additional free content? Do we want to push them towards demo? Like whatever it is, like figuring out that CTA. Then you get to the A, which is assess resources, which this could work for intelligence or security or content. Assess your resources. If you have access to an entire studio, fantastic. If all you have is a cell phone, then that's all you have to work with. So really figure out what can you do with what you have? Uh, if you don't feel like you're going to be the person that's going to get in front of the camera and bring your A game every single week, then maybe it's something you just want to do audio. Maybe you just do audio only podcasting. Maybe you don't want to speak. Maybe you, you might have some uh, some challenges in speaking and, and being able to deliver it in a very confident way. Maybe you need to write. So just figuring out what are the things that you want to say and what is that medium in which you can continue down that path because it's all about consistency. Uh, if you're getting in a podcasting, podcasts usually fade around episode seven. It's called pod fade. But if you find that medium in which you're like, I can do this without fail consistently for a long period of time, that's when you're going to find that growth. That's when you're going to be able to iterate and get better. Uh, then you get to that S, which is strive for impact, right? You're trying to, you're trying to meet people where they are. You're trying to get them to understand that you empathize with their situation. So you need to be able to get that message to whoever it is that you're trying to reach. So find out where they are hanging out, figuring out what do they care about? What are the problems and challenges that they have? Use things like Google and YouTube to figure out what are people looking up when they're trying to search for uh, identity management or what are they looking for when it comes to EDR or security operations, whatever it is, like figure out what you're trying to say and who you're trying to say it to. And then finally, yield to feedback. Feedback is a gift. Uh, a lot of us feel like uh, our, our babies are never ugly, but sometimes they are. We need feedback <laughs> to grow, right? Growth is never something that's comfortable. Growth always comes from something that's uncomfortable. When you feel like, ugh, you wince a little bit, that's growth, or when, no matter what it is. So I would say lean into that discomfort, lean into that feedback, Understand how to iterate, take the good, throw away the bad. And then if you just keep going, then you're, you're on your path to success and content. I love that framework. And uh, I 
personally curious, do you have any tricks for getting feedback from people? Because that's something I've actually struggled with. Yeah, I would say if, if you could be as targeted as possible. So even if it's down to reaching out directly to somebody and say, hey, I would love your feedback on this specific thing about the show. They're more likely to give you feedback. If you were to send out a mass email, say, hey, everybody, give us some feedback. No one's going to do it. They're like, oh, they right. probably have other people giving them feedback. But if you give uh, send a feed, feed call for feedback to somebody and you're saying, hey, look, I, you know, I think we have a great show, but I really want to understand, like, what do you think about the length of the show? Or what do you think about the people that we're bringing on or the topics? And they say, oh, you know, it, it might be better if you do X, Y and Z. And sure, their feedback might be valuable. And it might be something that you're like, oh, that sounds more of like a, a personal preference. But then it's, it's your job to kind of sort through that and find the nuggets to say, OK, I can take this and I can run with it and make our show better. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. If you come with a very specific ask and, and do it directly, they're much more likely. So the next one I have comes from one of the newsletters I was reading that you wrote about your thoughts on specificity and how that can make your content and ultimately your brand stand out amongst the noise. Can you explain that concept to our audience and why it's important to find your unique voice? Yeah, <clears throat> the riches are in the niches. So if you try to speak to everyone, you end up speaking to no one. Uh, you, 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 I've seen, I've, I shoot, I've done it a million times. Oh, I'm going to start a podcast and it's going to be about everything. And unless you're a celebrity or a comedian or somebody like that, it's going to be really hard to, to really get uh, attraction uh, with your audience. But if you have a really solid understanding of who you're speaking to, let's say I'm speaking to everybody that's uh, between five to 10 years experience in the area of threat intelligence, I know exactly what their problems are, what they're dealing with. I know where they're at in their life. I understand uh, uh, what what they might be wrestling with in the the open the, in the world. I know what roles they're probably in at different companies. Then you can get really targeted on what that information is going to be on that front end of the episode. You're going to say, "Hey, we're going to cover X, Y, and Z," and that's what's going to click for somebody in that demographic, and they're going to say, "Oh, wow, this is something that might be useful for me." But if it's for everybody in the world, you're not going to get a lot of people that are going to tune in. So I guess, yeah, if you're starting a podcast to support your company's marketing efforts, it really comes down to understanding who your target yes, audience is absolutely. and then creating content that fills a niche for them. Exactly. Do you have any advice for people that are maybe thinking about making the leap from a technical to a creative role? Is there any honest conversations they should be having with themselves? Should they start slow and test the waters? What, what's a good way to figure that big life-changing career change out? So there's a book. And I don't completely agree with the book, but I think it has some good uh, information in it. And it's called Be So Good They Can't Ignore You. It's by Cal Newport. And it's all about being so good in your role that you get that job satisfaction. You get the freedom. And it, and it kind of debunks the passional hypothesis. The disagreement that I have with the author is that I do think you have to have passion in the thing that you're doing because you're going to show up better. You're going to hit your head against these challenges and keep on coming more easily. And so I'd say that you do have to have a sense of passion for whatever it is you're doing. If you're making a transition from a technical role and you're trying to move to more of a creative, you're going to have to, you're probably going to have a lot of long late nights doing additional work while you're still maintaining a living. I don't know many people that are going to be able to transition from being a technical person and then in the next day become a podcaster and be able to cover their, their rent or cover their mortgage or, or be able to, you know, provide for their family. So first test the waters, figuring out, figure out what that thing is like, follow the easy framework, figure out what that is that the thing is that you can do, and then figure out what are the resources you, you have in which to do it. 
start to talk to people in that medium. And then once you start to build that center of gravity, once you start to have people that are saying like, hey, is there a way I could sponsor your content? Then you're on to something. But even then, it still might take some time before there's enough uh, demand of your content to transition to a full-time creator. But it's not impossible. There have been a lot of people that have done it. Ashish Ranjan uh, and Shilpi, they've been able to do that, right? They create uh, pretty much full-time. Uh, Daniel Measler, he's pretty much there to the point. I mean, he does some consulting and stuff on the side, but uh, he's a, he's a full, pretty much a full-time creator. Uh, somebody like, um, uh, John Hammond, right. Uh, even though he still uh, works for Huntress, uh, full time, but he, you know, he's doing uh, well enough where I'm sure he could, uh, pivot to full time, uh, content creation if he wanted to, but he loves being able to, to stay a practitioner. So I would say that, yeah, it's going to take some time, uh, but definitely start dipping your toe and dabbling in different things and then just keep working until you're so good that no one can ignore you. Great advice. All right, so this is the final question I have for you. It's the one that I ask of everybody who's on the show. It can be as wide or as narrow as you want. Do you have any predictions for the future of cybersecurity? I would say the prediction is that the the adversaries are going to adopt AI a bit faster than we are. Even though we have a lot of companies that are spinning up and using artificial intelligence, the the adversary is going to see it as a way to make money very quickly. And so we need to adopt it in a way that's intelligent, but we also need to move as fast as possible to ensure that we stay on that possible adjacent, right? Because if, if we get to a point where we are behind the, the eight ball and AI and the adversary is, you know, leaps and bounds above where we are, that exponential growth is going to be kind of hard to catch up. So I would say from that perspective, like really start thinking outside the box, get as creative as you can when it comes to leveraging things like artificial intelligence. Uh, and in quantum, whenever that becomes a thing. But uh, I would say that's probably one of my biggest concern right now is that there are folks out there that are thinking of ways to take our lunch uh, using AI. And so we need to do the same thing. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show with me, Chris. It was a really cool conversation and uh, really appreciate the work you're doing with Hacker Valley Media. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Take care, sir. And that concludes this episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. You can access the intel we talk about on the show in real time and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie community Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode.